Welcome to Women Leading the Way Radio Show, where each time you'll hear from successful women CEOs, executives, and professionals, where we'll discover how they do what they do to be successful in business. We'll be interviewing women who have overcome big challenges, women who have incredible stories of lessons learned in dealing with adversity. We'll even interview women who have started and grown successful organizations and women who are C-level executives with unique talents and positions. Our goal is to bring successful businesswomen together to share how they're leading the way in business today. Hey, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Women Lead Radio, brought to you by Connected Women of Influence. I am Michelle Berquist, your host today of Women Leading the Way, and I have a second time an amazing woman leading the way. We thought she was so fabulous on the first show. I said, please come back. Uh, we'd like to go further and just her experiences and what she's done, and I'm delighted to share today that our topic, um, and one that is kind of a continuum, continuum from what we did before, is I'm delighted to say that our leading lady today is Dr. Karen Gedney, and she is the owner of DRG Consulting, but more than that, it's like her background, she was a prison doctor, is now an author, and she's also a prison reform activist. And I just want to say again, Karen, Dr. Gedney, welcome to Women Lead Radio and say hello to our listeners. Well, hello, everybody out there. And, Michelle, thanks so much for asking me to come back. Exactly. Well, you're, you're just all that is what you should say to yourself. You are. Where We want to unpack you more, uh, Karen. And it's like thank you again because I think what was so fascinating last time, we talked a little bit about leadership, but today I really want to focus on this book that you've written, um, there's a lot there because after 30 years as a prison doctor, you know, you wrote a book. I just really want our listeners to know more about you book, your book. Can you share where the inspiration came from and what is the name of your book for our listeners? The name of my book is 30 Years Behind Bars, Trials by a Prison Doctor. And I think my major inspiration came When I would come back from work and certain friends or family would say to me, hey, what happened? And then I would tell them what happened and I would hear quite an often, many times, oh my God, you've got to write a book, Karen. You've got to write a book. And (laughs) I thought, okay, there's this weird fascination people have about what really goes on in prison, but also a fascination about medicine and a fascination about a world that uh, is really an unknown world for the most part, uh, unless you have someone in your family incarcerated and then you hear stories and you wonder because you really don't experience it yourself. That was the inspiration. Then on top of it, in the prison, when I would be dealing with things that were just very hard for me or just funny or weird, I would uh, keep a journal and I would write things down more to get it off Mm. my chest, like my own little psychotherapy session. And then I kept those. Plus, (laughs) I did a lot of programs as a volunteer on my own in the prison when I saw the need. I started substance abuse classes and HIV support groups and Toastmasters and life skills classes. And when I did these things as a volunteer, and I would give the uh, inmates 
homework because I wanted them to think and also write. Some of the homeworks were just so good, I couldn't throw them away. And I kept a lot of that information over the years. In fact, I have a whole file cabinet <laughs> of stuff that I saved. Wow. Yeah, and some of the guys would write poetry or they would draw and, you know, things, the, the ones that were just too good to throw away, I saved. And when I retired from the prison system, and I retired, let's say, not um, maybe when I wanted to retire, it was just the time that uh, I thought, okay, Karen, the prison system, you've swung back and forth for so long. Now you're in a section where it's really dark again. You've done your 30 years. And if you stay, you're just going to get bitter uh, under the current yeah. administration. Hey, Karen, go back a minute, because go back. I, I want to I talk about some of this, but you mentioned a couple of things I want to go backwards on. I'm like, man, there's so much to you. Um, but go back for a moment, and you mentioned some of the you know, inmates that some of the things they either shared or that you journaled about. I mean, what were some of the, without giving away too much that was in your book, but what were some of the most... I don't know. I mean, these are things that we as, you know, John Q. Public or Jane Q. Public don't know about some of these inmates, their thoughts, what was going on. I mean, what are come a couple of the stories that you, you shared in your book that we would be wanting to know about some of these inmates? Do you mind sharing a couple? Oh, oh yes, certainly. And I think um, a big one would be, for example, when I started, it was the HIV epidemic. And a lot of people, Mm -hmm. you can imagine in the early days, they didn't know really how transmissible it was. Uh, Everybody was scared of it. There was a lot of misinformation, sort of like COVID right now, except HIV really uh, scared people because those people who got it, uh, they all ultimately died, you see what I mean, for the most part. And they were young men, predominantly, mm-hmm. and uh, they knew it was being transmitted by blood and sex. But how much blood or sex, or could it be transmitted by spit? There was so much fear in the prison. I started in 1987, and in July of 87, there was no drug at all, zero, in the United States. So if you had a diagnosis of HIV, it was a death sentence. And you can imagine fear in a prison because you have so many IV drug addicts. Nevada as a state tested every single inmate in the state, which is very unusual. Then when I started, they said, hey, Dr. Gedney, You know, we have X amount of uh, people in the state, and these are the people, this is the number that's positive for HIV and AIDS. And nobody knew what to do with that. And so some of my stories relate to the men who died from it, uh, the fear Mm -hmm. about it with the officers as well as the inmate population, why I really started HIV support groups, why I taught HIV to the custody staff, and the kickback I got from the prison when drugs came out, and as a physician, I prescribed what I thought was needed for the inmate population, 
And I will tell you that there were certain custody officers who basically said to me, why are you doing that? They did it to themselves. Just let them die. That sort of oh, mentality. Wow. Right. And I can't you know, even, so you, how did, so how did, no, I just want to go in there. It's like, for that kind of like mindset, I mean, for you as a doctor, I mean, how, how did you last 30 years there? I mean, was it the results you saw of, of your impact with the inmates or what kept you there for 30 years as a prison doctor? I'm curious. Well, what really kept me there was uh, your listeners need to know that I was put there by the federal government as a payback for a scholarship. So I had to do four years. And after I did mm. four years, you're basically trial by fire and you sink or you swim and you decide what mm. you're going to do next. And for me, I wanted to uh, make a difference in the prisons because four years gave me a good taste of what needed to be done. And the biggest right. thing for me was to use my power to protect instead of using power to harm or shame mm -hmm. or punish. And that's something that was very important to me. Plus, I always wanted to take care of the underserved and the underdog and figure out complex problems because I'm an internist. So I'm oriented to try to diagnose and treat. And the prison was an absolute ideal opportunity for, let's say, my toolkit. Mm -hmm. uh, wow. I, I'm curious what you could say. Huge leap. Yeah. Well, I mean, but huge leap to go from a, a medical doctor. And then, I mean, where did, I, and I know we're still focusing on your book, but how did you then get into prison reform as an activist? I'm curious where that spark came from just based on what you saw over the years or was there like a you know a tipping point or something that was a you know trigger that happened or was it just an evolution in being 30 years and seeing all you saw I mean how does that happen yeah I know what you mean it, it was an evolution for me and the thing is inside the prison when I saw things that I felt needed to be done but had never ever occurred, and I mean never occurred, I just did them. Uh, for example, the majority of the inmate population were addicts, and there were actually no pro pro programs at all to address addiction in those days. So I saw a need, and then I filled it. I looked at the population. Mm -hmm. I saw that they had very poor life skills in terms of how to control anger, stress management, relationships, parenting, whatever you want to talk about, they had many times poor life skills, financial literacy, and I saw a need, and then I put that in motion. Mind you, as a doctor, <laughs> you know, I, right, I developed right. these programs. I mean, it was out of my wheelhouse, but it was something that was needed and does impact physical health and mental health. And also in a prison, I saw, it was really experienced the racial injustice, the poverty injustice, mentally ill injustice, because when I started to really understand who was being thrown behind prison bars, 
it just smacked of such unfairness for the poor, for the uneducated, for the minority population and the mentally ill. It was so unfair. And I thought, I have to do something about this. And and I'm not technically a political animal. I try to stay away from that. And I that's how I survived in the prison system, by not getting into politics. Many times we would have medical directors. That means the one person above me in the entire state. And they, they were doctors, but they also were politically, let's say, savvy or connected. And they would come and go... I lived through maybe 10 or 12. I don't know. They would come and go. Wow. Wow. And -hmm. and when they would go, and then you need an acting medical director, then they would want me to be it or and pressure me, like you be the medical director. And I was always (laughs) absolutely not. (laughs) That's not. That's not. Not, No, thank you. It was like, no, thank you, but a heck no. (laughs) That's that's a heck no, right. Because I also know that. Yeah, it's it's a it's a no win situation to be in that that spot, and also that's not my strength. But when you see what I saw, and you want to make a difference, and you leave, now you could just leave and think about it and forget about it. But I really felt I still had to help in a way that I could, and for me, right. the way I felt I could could help was one. I know the power of personal stories, and I know people remember stories, not statistics. And it can change the way people think about things. And that's why I really wrote the book. I wanted the outside world. I wanted the reader, they read it, to see the place in a way that I experienced it. For people who read the book, what they will see is... I'm not telling them what to think. It's actually you are with me the day I enter the prison. You experience everything I experience and experience what the inmates are experiencing and custody and administration. And it goes 30 years and it ends with the day I leave. And my thought system when I'm leaving where it's very hard for me to leave because I still want to help. Right. Hey, hold on to that thought, Karen, because mm-hmm. I want to take a quick yeah. commercial break here. We're going to thank the sponsor. But when I come back, I want to talk to you more about the writing process and, and what, what that was like. I mean, every I mean, we have a lot of would-be authors out there, and at the same time, I think you've got an incredible – you know, those stories and the experiences that you had. But hang on to that, and I'm going to say just a quick, quick, I hope, thank you to one of our sponsors who is amazing. Um, So hang on to that. And I want to say that today, Women Lead Radio is brought to you by Connected Women of Influence and our partner, National University. National University is proud to be San Diego's largest private nonprofit university founded in 1971. The National University mission is to provide accessible, achievable higher education to adult learners. Today, National University educates students from across the U.S. and around the globe with over 170,000 alumni worldwide. Thank you so much for your support, National University, and to all of our sponsors and partners. 
And now, Karen, I'm back to you. So I want to talk a little bit because I, you know, I, I would imagine because I know one of the things that you kind of shared with me is, you know, how many other female prison doctors out there have written books, right? Uh, probably not many, as I'm guessing, but what was the writing process like for you? If you said you had all these letters and you jotted down some of these stories of some of the inmates, what was the writing process like for you? I mean, was it frustrating? Was it enriching? Was it, you know, just a whole bunch of emotions that went through putting this book together? What was it like? Yes, to everything you said. <laughs> oh, man, don't do that. Okay, let's hear a little more, but I know you're laughing when you say that. <laughs> yes. Well, for me, um, I think the big thing was I had to make the decision to do it, right? And then I realized, okay, I don't really know how to go about this. And it's sort of funny. My, my husband was still alive at that time, and he said, don't overthink this, Karen. Just start writing. And I thought, okay, yeah, okay. Right. Right, right. Don't overthink it. Start writing. And then I made the decision, well, it only makes sense for me to write the day I start and the day I end. And then I mm-hmm. will, the reader will be there through that period of time. And then I also know for myself, I'm one of those people who, what should I say, is maybe a little bit more uh, structured. And I thought, okay, Karen, <laughs> for you to really, <laughs> for you to really do this, you have to write a minimum of 500 words a day, and shoot for 2,000 words a day. Now, mind you, I had no idea what I was doing. Okay. And by the time I finished, I had like 160,000 words. And then I found out, well, that's usually way too much for books because people don't like fat books. <laughs> you see what yeah. I mean? Right, correct. Right. I mean, Absolutely it's, true. It's sort of funny. I mean, I, I didn't even know what I didn't know. That That's the thing. And it took me um, – well, I can't remember how many months it took me to finish because everything included in terms of me, I, I write everything down. Then I thought, okay, this is great, but now what do I do with it? And the issue is, right. okay, I need someone to take a look at it. And I'm at this, I don't know this, uh, it, it was called the Win event in Nevada. It's just a networking event where you're wandering around mm-hmm. and meeting people. And somehow I met a woman. <laughs> yeah, I met a woman who was a uh, editor and someone who also did ghostwriting, that sort of thing. And I said oh. to her, "Hey, right, because at least she knew about books, right?" And I asked her. I said, "Hey, I've, I've written this, but I really don't know anything about books and about how to edit them or publish them or, or what I'm supposed to do." And I, and then I would watch some little webinars, and they give you the pros and cons of self-publishing or trying to get a publisher. And I made a decision very early that I would self-publish because I knew that if any person was interested in it in terms of like a publishing house or whatever, they would change it to what they thought would be sellable. 
And that's not really why I wrote it. I wanted them to experience Hmm. it like I had experienced it. So my decision early was self-publishing. I talked to this woman and she said, okay, what's the title? She liked the title. She thought it was an interesting uh, potential read. And she said, look, I can look at this for X amount of money and give you a developmental edit. And then if I think it's worth anything, I can introduce you to a person I use who is a copy line editor. So she read it right. and she said, okay, Karen, I like it. Uh, as a developmental edit, I want it more of a, a sort of a three-act play. <laughs> well, well, three acts. <laughs> I love the advice. Like, I love the advice. Right. Right. That, okay, you start and then you need something, the crescendo. And in my book, it's when I'm taken hostage. And so it's sort of like you're starting to know the prison, you survive the prison. And then what do you do in terms of uh, and why you stay and what you ultimately want to accomplish? Sort of like a three act deal. <laughs> Then, I like that. Uh, hey, just so our so right, our listeners can find it, it. find it, because I think you're wedding you're wedding our appetite on the book. So how can right. our listeners reach out and find your book? It, it, tell us how you want people to find it. Are you on Amazon? Yes, I'm definitely on Amazon, and that was also a learning experience for me because I had. I had no idea how to market it or promote it. or And I realized all these people with number one best Amazon uh, bestsellers, yeah. that is a lot of monkey shines in terms of <laughs> manipulating systems. Yeah. In ter- and I had no idea about any of that, right? I mean, none. So the amount of knowledge that I didn't know was quite extraordinary. But I get it edited. Uh, Then I actually went to the Small Business Administration and uh, found somebody, a female author who was a scientist, and she gave me some tips like, oh, Karen, uh, if you do a cover, go through Fiverr and this and that. So actually she gave me some tips that I would have never known how to do my own cover. (laughs) You see what I mean? Well, I love that, but can you maybe share with our listeners, because we've only got a few minutes left. I always always yeah. am fascinated how quickly our time goes, but for peop- for our yeah. listeners that are out there, Karen, that are thinking of publishing a book, I mean, what are maybe one or two takeaways if you did it over, you'd say, hey, do this, but not that, or do, you know, keep aware of this. What would be maybe some slices of advice you could give our listeners you know, on their thinking before they publish a book. We all have those lessons right. learned that we do things differently. Yeah, definitely. And I would recommend in your group, because you have a lot of women who have published a book, I think that they should definitely reach out to them in terms of understanding the uh, nuggets that they learned the hard way, like I did. And... Also, they need to really talk to people who are actually editors, publicists, marketers, people in the business. I I never talked to anybody really technically in the business. I, I was sort of just winging it and making mistakes as I went through the whole process. 
and they right. have a lot of webinars now. I mean, not so much when I left, but now with the Zoom and the webinar world going crazy, you can basically start accessing something I didn't do, like YouTube, how to publish a book. <laughs> YouTube, how to market. It's amazing what's right. there on YouTube, isn't it? Yeah. Right, right. And I never really, I, I never really did that. I don't know. It never actually occurred to me to access YouTube and all these other platforms. When to me, in my mind, because maybe I'm old, it was like, okay, you write a book, you write a book, right? That's that's what I what I thought. Right. I love it. You know, in our limited time left, because I feel like I'm hopping all around, what you didn't answer for me is how people can yes. find your book. Uh-oh. So tell your title you again. Know, and, yeah, the um, best it, thing, yeah. yeah, tell people how they can find your book. Yeah, they, they need – the best thing is go to Amazon. It's on Amazon. It's 30 Years Behind Bars, Trials of a Prison Doctor. And it's available in Kindle. And uh, I did the audio, so it's also audible. Very cool. And my Very cool. Website Those are so is, popular right now. Right, right. For when you walk, it's and my website is discoverdrg.com, and the book is there as well. Great, love that. Hey, here's how I want to wrap up because I know you said there was a you know anything else I should know, and I know because of a couple of our conversations, but you also kind of shared this with me um, when I asked you on things I should know or ask you about. Why you know, talk to me a little bit about how important mentoring is to you and and what you mean by that? Well, when someone says they're a prison reform activist, they usually are coming at it from specific angles. My thought is holistic prison reform, where I look at it as a doctor, where you prevent people from ending up in prison, healing them when they're in prison, and then supporting them when they leave. That's holistic. But the mentoring piece is the prevention end predominantly for me. The thing is, there are so many kids at risk for going down the wrong path, because one, they don't have fathers. Uh, their peer groups are not good. They come from poverty. Uh, they are exposed to violence. And I think that if you mentor kids at risk and uh, give them some life skills and some love and some attention, they are far less likely to spin into the world that puts them in the criminal justice system. And once they get that stamp on them, it's like a tar baby. It's very difficult to extricate yourself once you're thrown into that criminal justice world, the jails, the prisons, the felony convictions, and then the restrictions on you which I never even knew that, for example, if you're an ex-felon yeah. in most states, you can't get social service aid, you, you can't get um, help with funding education, you can't get housing in certain areas. I mean, there's so many strikes against you. And heaven forbid you do something again wrong and you have a prior felony or you just slip up on a probation or parole and they bounce you back in. And that's why mentoring is so important. Right. Also, if you're someone that. like me, if you're someone like me, if you mentor the youth, it keeps you young. For example, 
this weekend <laughs> I mentor. <laughs> so this weekend I'll mentor Dante, who's uh, I've mentored since he was three. Now he's fourteen, and. Uh, and two weeks ago, I took him to a basketball camp run by the Martin Twins. Those are two NBA identical twin guys. And they did this camp in Reno at a boys and girls club because they used to play at University of Nevada, Reno. So to be able to go for two days and be part of a basketball camp with two NBA guys <laughs> and watch a 14-year-old wow, yeah. just in, in like doggy heaven, that was wonderful. But... On Sunday, I'll get him, and I'll take him to the to the Mac Center, which is where he can play basketball. But then I'll take him to the Jungle Cruise movie, which I want to see. It's about you. It's about. I love it. Right. 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 And uh, and then he wants to go bowling as well. Then I'll go bowling. But it keeps me young. But also, I feel that. if I can keep someone like a Dante, who's incredibly a great kid, but he comes from a family that is nothing but criminals, you know, I mean, I should say all of them, but, but half are, you know, in prisons or have been in prisons and involved with the criminal justice system. And so he is at very high risk, but he is, he's bright, he's athletic. And, uh, you know, my husband and I, impacted him but once they hit those teen years i really i'm trying to nudge him to peer groups that um you know aren't related actually to his family i think that's amazing i think all of us should be better mentors to our up and coming uh you know next generation i I mean i'm gonna this is my last question we're out of time i just want to say what's something maybe that I didn't ask you that you want to share with our listeners because I don't think there's many people that have the perspective you do, Karen, of what you experienced. And, you know, we all, I think many of us want to make the world a better place. But what's something you want to share as a final final send-off here of something I didn't ask you or you just want to motivate or inspire us? What you got? Because I love it. <laughs> well, No pressure, right? I think that, yeah, well, I think that uh, everyone wants their life to have mattered, right? And this works for me in the prison reform arena because there's so much injustice. Last weekend, I was at the Pride Day Parade in Reno uh, manning the booth for abolishing the death penalty. And that's how I can... uh, And that's how I can help because if people come up to me And it's one of those things with education, but to have a doctor educate you on the death penalty is very different than um, maybe a politician. You see what I mean? And a doctor who was asked to write for the drugs Mm -hmm. for executions and then refused. And also a doctor who took care of people who were on death penalty, you know, on death row, basically. That's a different type of person that they can interact with and then I want right and then I'm always curious to find out what their interest is and you know sometimes it's uh, interesting why people say what they do like I had some people who said well I don't know I'm against the death penalty 
And and this one lady yeah. said, I don't know if I'm against it because someone murdered my brother, right? Oh. And uh, wow. And I will say that I have had readers read my book because I also have a section on executions who read my book and actually contacted me and said, you know, I think differently about this. And I had a family member who was killed by X, Y, Z, you know, so what an you impact. never know where you I make mean, a wow. difference. Yeah, I think, well, you know what, that's the way to end it. I mean, we're out of time. I can't believe it, but, you know, you do. You never know where you make a difference. And I want to tell our listeners, first of all, Karen, thank you for coming back. I think there will be other rounds, but, you know, the book is 30 Years Behind Bars, Trials of a Prison Doctor by Karen Gedney, MD. Um, You are amazing. I just want to say thank you again. I want to say thank you to our listeners and, Karen, for you for being with us. I think this will be multiple uh, things. And I think you've got a lot to say to people. And to our listeners, thank you for being loyal. Um, We're an international show, and we're here every Monday mornings at 9 a.m. Pacific time and Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific time. So for myself, Karen, I'm going to bring you into this and say thank you. And to just to everybody, have an awesome weekend. Be safe, be well, support others. And to that, have a wonderful weekend, and we'll see you on the next Women Lead Radio Show. Women Leading the Way is produced by Connected Women of Influence, the premier private membership organization where like-focused, business-to-business, executive and professional women connect, collaborate, and cultivate a vast network of high-level affiliations, resources, and professional relationships. For more information about Connected Women of Influence, please visit our website at connectedwomenofinfluence.com.